John chapter 15, uh, we're going to be looking at that in some depth. You know, I was thinking, as I was thinking about the passage, it's impossible for us on this side of Calvary to, to kind of go back emotionally uh, and, and see what the Jews were anticipating as Jesus Christ began what we call the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. I was thinking in the prayer time in the back room before we came out that the scripture says Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. He didn't run. He didn't go and hide. He knew uh, the sequence of events that would ultimately lead to his death on a cross. And yet the scripture says he set his face toward Jerusalem. The Jews had something very different in mind in anticipating his coming as he began to ride toward the city on the, the donkey's colt. That was a symbol of kingship. And in their minds they had a great anticipation of finally having a deliverer who would release them from Roman oppression and set them free politically and overthrow the region and <clears throat> gain uh, that uh, you know, momentum that was needed to restore the marvelous kingdom of Israel. That's not at all how it turned out. And that crowd that so uh, exuberantly received him as he came into Jerusalem, through the week began to sour. As he confronted the Pharisees time and again in the courtyard of the temple, as the uh, tensions began to rise, as the conflict escalated, the Pharisees uh, became more agitated and determined to do away with him, the crowd began to see their hopes and dreams evaporate before them. And as a consequence, as we move toward the end of the week, we find many of these very same people who cried loud hosannas a week before, now instead crying, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas and do away with this imposter. And yet in the midst of all of the tension that was developing and the way that it would personally affect our Lord Jesus Christ because we cannot separate him from the reality of his person. He prayed in the garden, Father, if there's any possible way for this cup to pass, uh, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done, tells us that his own heart was hurting and aching as he anticipated what was inevitably coming. And in the process of that, still, he sought to take those last days and to build into his disciples teaching, uh, pictures, word pictures, illustrations, analogies that would remind them in the days and decades to come what their special relationship with him was like. He gave them promises. He gave them assurance. He promised never really to leave them, but to give them the Holy Spirit, the one who had been with him 
uh, and in him and now would be in them. And as he moved toward that last supper with them, he brought up an illustration that is truly amazing in this passage about the vine. And he says in that, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. I have often thought about those words, I am the true vine. What did he mean by that? That he is the true vine. Is it true as opposed to false? Well, they could look all around Jerusalem and see the vineyards, and those were very real vines, and they produced real grapes, and uh, they were able to produce the fruit of the vine and the grape juice and the fine wines. Those were real vines. So it wasn't true as in terms of faults, but I think he is the true vine in a much more significant way. The psalmist in Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament displays his handiwork. And Isaiah in chapter 6, as he sees the Lord high and lifted up, um, he hears the seraphim, whose only mission it seems is to uh, fly about the throne and exalt and magnify uh, the Lord God. And he hears them say, the whole earth is full of his glory. Paul, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, says some very remarkable things about creation. He says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. When you think about this, this is a remarkable statement. Uh, when you're in uh, Bible college or seminary, you uh, study a topic called natural theology, and natural theology, as opposed to special theology or special revelation, uh, is the study of God in nature. And Paul is telling us that apart from Scripture, and apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is another witness to his being, and that is the world that he has made. And we always ask the question, how much can you learn about God from studying natural theology. How much can you learn about God from looking at the things that he has made? And Paul tells us very remarkably that we can see his invisible attributes, those characteristics that define his personhood, can actually be seen in the realm of nature. Even though the world has fallen even though it's under a curse, even though all of creation groans, uh, Paul says in Romans 8, for the manifestation of the sons of God, nonetheless there is a sufficient vestige of the nature of God revealed in nature that we can see his invisible attributes. We can also uh, determine his eternal power. 
we can see his divine nature. And Paul says these things are not obscure or obtuse or difficult to fathom, but they are clearly seen. I personally believe, I can't prove this, although I think I've laid a good foundation for you, but I personally believe that God specifically designed things throughout this world that reflect the essence of who he is. So that in the contemplation of those things, the plants and the animals and the mountains and the valleys and the rivers and streams and birds and all of the things that we observe in nature, we can see aspects of the divine nature that have been clothed in the attributes of nature itself. I believe when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's not telling us that he's like a vine, but he's telling us that he is the vine. And the one that grows in the vineyard is a copy of his essential nature. He made that vine so that as we consider it, we can learn something about him. And to his disciples, he reveals what that something is. He says there is a relationship that exists in a vine between the branch and the fruit that is like my relationship and your relationship with me, with each other. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. You are the branches. Abide in me as I abide in you. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Think about a vine with me for a moment. Can you imagine a branch lying on the ground, separated from the vine, suddenly producing green leaves and luscious fruit? Can anyone contemplate such a ridiculous thing? No, that branch lying on the ground is simply going to dry up. The leaves are going to wither. There will be no fruit. There is nothing that branch can do once it is separated from the vine. Also consider a vine that lacks a vine dresser, a gardener, a vine that's left to its own devices. Well, you all know what happens to your flower beds and flower gardens and household gardens when you neglect them, don't you? Uh, pretty soon the weeds come up. Uh, eventually, uh, much of the growth is choked out. Uh, we have a couple of apple trees in the backyard and it's a constant war between branches versus apples. If you let it go, you end up with a lot of branches and not very many apples. It requires attention. You have to channel the growth back into the ones that are producing fruit. If you have a vine without a vine dresser, uh, unlike uh, this one over here that is neatly, you don't see this so much yet, but just wait. 
Uh, it's neatly uh, strung out across a, a wire, and uh, it's been carefully trimmed so that uh, the branches that are there all have um, greenery on them and will in due season produce uh, heavily laden clusters of grapes. Because there's a vine dresser that will snip off the unnecessary uh, shoots. It, he will uh, trim the branches that are simply occupying space. If not, that vine is just going to become woody. It's going to grow more branches than fruit and the grape clusters will be small and the grapes will be tiny and sour and no one is going to want anything that comes off of a vine like that. And so the vine dresser gives personal attention to every single grape vine in the vineyard. Trimming, snipping, pruning, caring, cultivating, providing nourishment and what is needed to enable that vine to channel its energy into the branches and for the branches in their relationship to the vine to produce amazing fruit. There are several illustrations like this in scripture that I think are very special and they call to our mind our nature and his nature. One of those illustrations is we are sheep and he is a shepherd. Those who tend sheep uh, have great reward. Uh, lambs and sheep have their own uh, special charming qualities um, and they produce all kinds of warm wool and other things. Um, hate to think of lamb chops in this context, but anyway, uh, they, they have all of these uh, wonderful things that provide great blessing to the one who tends the sheep. But you know, sheep are among many uh, among many of the creatures in nature, they're pretty stupid. They are always into trouble. They get caught in all kinds of thickets and problems. They get wounded. Um, they don't uh, have enough sense to avoid the poisonous plants and to eat the good ones. You know, a lot of animals uh, have an innate nature. They know what's right and what's wrong. Sheep don't have that. Uh, they just eat whatever looks green and uh, it could be poison or it could be uh, rich nourishment and they're indiscriminate. Sheep without a shepherd don't survive and they most certainly don't thrive. They need a shepherd to prepare green pastures. Uh, that means to go in advance of them and prepare and get rid of those things that would be harmful. They need a shepherd to protect them. They need a shepherd to go after them when they stray and bring them back into the fold. They need a shepherd that will uh, put oil on their wounds and care for them in a way that will uh, help them to flourish. It's interesting that that's one of the key pictures we have in our relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd. We are sheep. We're very sheepy, in fact. And we really, really need a shepherd. And then he gives us this picture. I am the true vine. You are the branches. You need a vine dresser. And you need a vine. If you're going to be fruitful. And produce a harvest. 
What are the keys that he gives us in John 15 about that nature of his and our relationship to it that is so important? He says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit the Father takes away, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Another course that every student of the Bible eventually takes, hopefully sooner than later, is a course in biblical interpretation. We call it hermeneutics, but uh, for all practical purposes, it just simply means how to correctly interpret the Bible. And one of the things that you learn right away is that images and parables and symbols uh, typically have a key focal point, uh, and you can't make more of them than is intended. I say that because some people read this passage and they miss the main point and they get hung up trying to flesh out a doctrine of eternal security. That's not in here. That's not a part of this message. The message is that a vine has characteristics and we play a role in that. And, and essentially, um, the way the vine dresser treats the vine is to prune it and groom it so that it will be fruitful. And like a branch, you are related to me in such a way that you must maintain the connection if you are going to be fruitful. You can't produce fruit by yourself. You must abide in the vine. I won't uh, bore you this morning with a lot of science and botany, but uh, let me just uh, simply say that there are uh, tubules that basically connect the branch all the way to the root. In fact, it's interesting that if you look at any tree out there, uh, if you could look at that microscopically, I said I wasn't going to do this, and here I am doing it. Um, if you could look at it microscopically, you would find uh, little tubules that carry nutrients from the soil all the way to the edge of the tiniest branch and uh, carry other uh, products that the leaves make and uh, so forth back into the nature of the, of the tree or the plant so that it can be a healthy organism. And those follow all the way down the trunk and into the root structure to the tiniest rootlet so that there is a connection between the soil in which the tree is planted or the vine is planted and the tiniest branch, the tiniest little tendril at the very end, it's all intertwined in such a way that all of the nutrition and all of the fluid that's necessary for the branches to be productive, the leaves to do their work, is intimately connected with the vine. And I know you've done some tree trimming and things like that, and you realize that if you cut a limb off, uh, it wasn't simply stuck on the side of the tree. 
the very heart of the limb goes down in the tree so that if you did cross sections, you would find it going deeper and deeper into the heart of the tree because it has an intimate connection. It is deeply tied to the trunk and to the roots. And without it, it's not going to be productive. Jesus says when you look at a vine, you need to think of yourself in those terms like the branch. You must abide in me. You must remain in me. You must be connected to me. You must be intimately intertwined in my life. Or you will be fruitless. And you will accomplish nothing. Sometimes we look around in our lives and we say, Hey, you know what? I've done a lot of things. Okay? How many of them have eternal significance? How many of them will last beyond you? How many of them will survive the grave and the generations? Tell me what significant things your great-great-great-great-grandfather accomplished in his life. Do you even know his name? If you want your life to matter eternally, if you want to enjoy the fruits of your living forever, you must be connected to the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Not nothing in terms of busyness and uh, some kind of this or that or the other, but nothing in terms of significance. And we were made to be significant. We were made to have eternal impact. We need to be connected to the vine for that to happen. And if you're connected to the vine and you are intimately abiding in Jesus Christ, notice that the fruit is born on the branches, but that the branch does not produce the fruit by itself. It is the vine that produces the fruit through the branch. And the vine dresser prunes it to ensure that it will be productive. Oh boy, do we ever get paranoid when the sound of clippers comes near our ears. <laughs> We're hanging out there on the vine and all of a sudden the pruning shears are getting close. But you know, the Father uses the Holy Spirit to sanctify, to trim, to prune, to uh, groom to snip away the things in our lives that we shoot out to, uh, you know, just kind of, well, we think they're pretty good. But the Father comes and says, you're wasting your energy. Let me snip this stuff away. Let me get you trimmed down and focused. Allow me to prune your life in such a way that you can be productive. Don't waste your energy on dead wood and useless shoots. Allow me to work in you so that you will produce fruit that will last. And so the Father prunes us and He trims us 
and he grooms us, and he prepares us, that the life of the vine flowing through us produces the fruit. You know what's so exciting about that? Is when you're a branch, the fruit is right next to you. It's, it's, it's coming off of you. It's just right there. You can smell it. You can see it. You can practically taste it. Because the Father is so gracious and kind to allow us to participate in His eternal nature in such a way that we are also intimately connected with the fruit. Not just the vine, but the beautiful productivity. We get to see results. We get to experience and savor the lusciousness of a life lived in Him. I have come that you can have life and have it in all of its abundance. I've come to make you full. I've come to to fill you up with myself so that your life will be fruitful and meaningful and enjoyable and full of goodness. Abide in me, and I will abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. Have you learned the secret of abiding in the vine? Do you know how much effort it takes to abide? Just ask a branch. All it does is just hang there. It's a place of rest, really. It's a place of connection with Jesus in such a way that it's a life, well, Paul puts it this way, the life which I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not my life, it's not my effort, I just rest in him, and he produces in me the fruit. Have you learned to abide? Have you learned to drink deeply of his nature? Peter says we are partakers of the divine nature. That life that flows through the vine, that sap, that Uh, heart uh, portion of the vine that flows into our lives is the very nature of Jesus Christ. I am the bread. I am the living water. If you're thirsty and if you're hungry, come to me and drink. Have you learned to draw the nourishment from Him? Have you learned to seek Him? Have you learned to dwell in Him and in His Word and eat of Him and drink of Him on a daily basis to know Him? Have you learned to give the Father freedom to prune you in whatever way He sees fit to make you the most productive? Some of us go to our sanctifying process, kicking and screaming. Oh, but I like that shoot. Oh, that leaf was so nice. Oh, but I I think that extra wood kind of makes me look, you know, buff, you know? No, 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 we got to get rid of this stuff. It's taking your energies away. 
It's wasting your, your productivity. Your life is being poured into nothingness. Let me get rid of it. Let me prune you up. Have you learned to welcome the sound of the shears of the Spirit and to let him groom you for his use? Jesus says, I am the true vine. I made vineyards all over the world so you could see this. There's copies everywhere. Meditate on them. I'm the true vine. You're the branches. I produce the fruit. If you're not connected to me, your life is going to be empty and void. Father, I pray this morning... As we sit quietly in your presence, that you would speak to our hearts. Some of us have been fighting to be independent without realizing that the moment we separate from you, we're going to dry up. Some of us kind of like being next to you, but we resist the pruning that you want to do to shape our lives for your purposes. Some of us are actually hanging in the vine, but we keep trying to make the fruit. Not realizing that resting achieves more than working. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Teach us the lesson of the vine. Make us to be those ones who abide in the vine. And allow you to do the work of the vine dresser. That our lives can not only be nestled in your heart, but have eternal significance in the sweet savor of fruit that will last forever. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.